Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. If you're loading a 357 Magnum handgun, how much pressure can you put in that cartridge? And how do you determine if you have too much pressure? Do you look for the same signs that you would in a standard bottleneck cartridge? Well, we hope to find out on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcasts. Hey, everybody. We got a letter here from one of our patrons on Patreon about his 357 Magnum handgun. Let's read it. Hey, the, uh, this guy's name is Ray's. And Ray says, I'm starting to hand load a 357 Magnum for my Henry X gun. Lever action Henry. Fun. And will the pressure signs be the same for a straight walled cartridge as they would be for a cartridge with a shoulder? 30 out six, 22, 250, that sort of thing. Thanks and love all the work you do. Hey, Ray's, you betcha. Here's what I wrote back to Ray's. Hey, they should be the same. The 357 Magnum, of course, is a low pressure cartridge to start with. The SAMI max average uh, pressure is just 35,000 PSI. That is about half of what the 22250 Remington runs, but it's twice what the 38 Special Handgun handles. So stick with your handloading manual recipes and you should be good, especially if you stay mm, 0.3 to 0.5 grains off the peak load. Now, as far as these pressure signs, yeah, they're pretty much the same even though there's not that much pressure in that cartridge and you shouldn't see them nearly as much. But cratered primers, any uh, marks from the bolt face on the back of the cartridge, I can't imagine those even popping up in a handgun with that low pressure before you go too far. So I think rather than looking for pressure signs, you should just stick with the the reloading manuals and work your way up on it. I mean, you're not going to have with this lever action rifle, well, I guess you're going to feel a little bit sticky. So if you open that lever and it's like harder to open than normal, that would suggest you maybe have too much expansion on your cases and you're clinging to the sidewalls of the chamber. Um, But yeah, I don't know. And you're also going to be able to handle more pressure in that Henry lever action rifle versus a revolver. The 357 Magnum, of course, was the 38 Special lengthened a little bit and then the pressures raised dramatically so that you had a more powerful handgun. So it's uh, held down to those lower pressure standards for the cylinders of the handgun, which can't take as much as a lot of the rifles. So you need to be careful with that stuff, but I wouldn't push the envelope. Follow your handloading manuals. They may give recipes for a little bit more powder uh, when using it in a stronger rifle action than a, than a wheel gun. But 
it's always the safest folks to go with the hand loading manuals. They've been tried and true recipes. Um, don't go off of supposition or what the second guy from the third bar stool to the left said about his super magnum load that he stuffs an extra 15 grains of powder into. <laughs> he probably only has uh, three fingers on his left hand or something. Okay, let's see if there's another one here from our patrons. Um, oh, here's somebody who seems to like uh, some cartridge called the 30-06. What the heck? Paul, what are you writing about? Ron, perhaps I can just make a comment. As a person who some years calls up to 60 large animals, wow, mostly zebra and wildebeest, I have seen and used most rifles over the years, and the one that I have learned is one that will never stop learning um, as a shooter. So keep your mind open. But as of this date, based on my purely anecdotal 17 years of hunting experience, the best cartridge is a 30 6 shooting 136 grain Peregrine VLR4, and for thick Bushveld, a 200 grain VRG3. P.S. I have no affiliation to Peregrine bullets whatsoever. <laughs> and then he says, hey, enjoy the Caprivi strip. I'm guessing it's on the Namibian side. Certainly one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah, and Paul and I had been writing about African hunts, and I mentioned that I was going up there. So I wrote back, Paul, I'm just back from that fine Caprivi hunt. My buddies took a bull buffalo and a hippo. I took a young bull elephant for the community meat use. Uh, I used a 270-grain hammer hunter copper bullet for the buffalo and the elephant. Barnes solids for the hippo. Fine performance. What kind of construction and materials make up the Peregrine VLR4 and VRG3? So I'm waiting to hear back from Paul on this one. If I get some news about these bullets, I'll let you know what they are, but... Um, yeah, I don't know at all what a peregrine bullet is. Sounds like it's something out of South Africa. So thanks for that, Paul. I'm looking forward to finding out about those. Hey, before we go into further questions, I want to uh, want to have you digest something. <laughs> Gun Digest. If you're just listening to the podcast, I am holding up the latest issue of Gun Digest. This is an annual digest. And as you can see, it's pretty thick. What do they have for page numbers here? 611, 622 pages in this baby. And my good friend, Philip Massaro, edits this. And he is kind enough to have me write a piece for him every issue. And it's just an annual. But man, is it chock full of stories. So here's one I did on the Ultralight Model 20 rifle. Ultralight Arms Model 20 rifle that I've had, oh gosh, since the late 80s in a 284 Winchester. And I go into detail about why I think this is my favorite rifle. And of course, I really don't have a favorite rifle, but boy, this is one of the top three, probably. I've just taken so much game with it and had so many grand adventures up in the North Country, up in Alaska for sheep and uh, elk in Idaho and other places, whitetail in Kansas. I mean, this rifle and I have been around and it has never let me down. I love the 284 Winchester cartridge, and in that short little lightweight rifle, which, by the way, only weighs four and maybe three-quarter pounds naked. Before you put a scope on it and load it up, that's all it weighs, and it doesn't recoil brutally at all. It's a sweet shooter. I've had many 
Uh, women use it and find it to be an effective rifle, taking their first deer with it, never complained about recoil or anything. So if you want to read about the Ultralight Arms Model 20 rifle, get the Gun Digest 2024. And of course, if you want other articles in 622 pages, you're going to find plenty of them. And then toward the back, they have a rundown of all kinds of guns that are on the market these days, handguns and shotguns and rifles and even gunpowders. And Jay, there's just all kinds of information that is of value and you will appreciate now let's get to the question. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, Check out MidwayUSA.com. At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, Shop MidwayUSA.com. All right. Here are questions that the team has pulled together for me. One of them comes out of New Orleans, Louisiana. <laughs> Joe. Ron, I've been wanting to hunt Colorado since Kirk Gowdy would take us there on American Sportsman. Wow, this is <laughs> aging you a little bit here, Joe. <laughs> oh, that was back in the 60s. I'm finally planning my first trip to Colorado. With that being said, I'm taking my Savage chambered in a 7mm Magnum. I assume he means Remington Magnum. A lot of people shorten that up because in the old days, the 7 Remington Magnum was the 7 Magnum. But nowadays, you've got so many, you really need to specify. Is it the Short Action Ultra Mag or the WSM or the uh, Ruger Ultra Mag? I mean, the Remington Ultra Mag or what's the latest one? PRC. Lots of Magnums out there. There's even a Blazer 7mm Magnum. So plenty of them, but I'm sure he's talking about the REM mag here. I'm still trying to find what it likes to shoot the best. My question is, how does the difference in elevation affect my ballistics? I'm going to go from eight feet below sea level to 9,500 feet. Woo. I'm shooting 140 grain bullets. Thanks for any advice. Hey, I love your show. Well, thanks, Joe. Yeah, that's uh, worth concerning um, because there is going to be a difference from uh, sea level to 9,500 feet. Um, that's kind of where I start to be concerned about it too, is when you make a change, if a 10,000 foot change, you really start to notice it because of course the air is thinner, your bullet's going to fly faster, have less drag, and it's not going to drop as much. So you really, I just can't tell you offhand what your 40, 140 grain bullet is going to do for shooting higher, but it will be significant and you need to check it out. So the way to do it is get a ballistics calculator and run your trajectory tables. Go to um, shooterscalculator.com or JMB calculators. Hornady has a pretty good calculator. Just go online and search for ballistic calculators and you should find a bunch of them free. Put in your numbers. You're going to need to know your muzzle velocity the BC of your bullet, um, and a few other things. And obviously, you're going to need to put in 9,500 feet in elevation. So you're going to do one chart listing sea level, 
I don't think you have to go eight feet down to get accurate on this one. And then you have to use that same load at elevation. Um, and then you're going to get the numbers and you're going to see, ooh, you know, I got several inches difference here. And it really starts to matter at longer ranges, obviously. So that's the way to do it, Joe. But smart to ask that one. All right. From who? This isn't just from Michigan. This is Jack from Upper Michigan, a.k.a. the Great White North. God's country, the poor man's Alaska. <laughs> Sounds like Jack's having fun. He's asking us something about firearms, cartridges, and hunting. Ron, I really enjoy the content you put out, and I have learned a lot. For instance, sincere thanks for tuning me in to the writings of Jack O'Connor. I really enjoy reading his writing as well as yours anyway. I was recently reading something he wrote in the Hunter's Shooting Guide about the 30-odd six. There's another chapter on the 270. Well, that doesn't surprise any of us. Jack extols the virtues of this great 30 caliber that is capable of taking pretty much every North American game animal and how it was one of his early effective rifles. This was written in 1957. A thought occurred to me. If this was the case for the 30 out 6 between 1906 and 1950s, with the advent of modern bullets and powder, does the 308 Winchester currently match the effectiveness of the 30 6 from a half century ago? Hey, I'm just saying, this might be a gotcha moment, buddy. <laughs> All the best, Jack. You got me. <laughs> no, Jack is making a good point here, and we have discussed it. Let me think. We were doing something on the 300. Oh, I did a, a video on my regular channel, Ron Spomer Outdoors on the 30-06 with modern powders and bullets performing the way the 300 Winchester Magnum did back in the 1960s. And a lot of people said, that's ah, not fair because you can put modern powders and bullets in the 300 Win Mag and its performance improves too. I know that wasn't the point. The point was that most of the reputation of the 300 Win Mag was built using the bullets and powders from those days. So when you say your 30-06 today with the modern stuff in it is the equivalent of that performance, then you've got a good sort of a base or a benchmark for better understanding its capabilities. Certainly any cartridge that's loaded up with the latest and greatest is going to take a step up from where it was way back when. And that's the point that Jack is making here with the 308. He is absolutely right. The 308 has picked up, I think on average, about 100 feet per second um, over the old days. And that puts it right into the ballpark, or actually right exactly what the 30-06 was doing back in the middle of the 20th century, when it was judged by O'Connor and so many others to be just the ultimate cartridge for hunting North American game and really African game as well. I mean, Hemingway took it over there. Roosevelt took it over there. Lots of, I think, Rourke took it over. Lots and lots of folks use the 30-06, and it's still one of the the best all round for antelope and gosh, they've even used it on rhino. And I'm sure plenty of people have taken elephants with it. So yeah, 308 can now do what the 30-06 did then. The 30-06, same thing as with that 300, put on the new bullets and powders and it's going to increase and always stay about 100 feet per second better than the 308. But as, as people always tell me when I run down the 308, it can do what the 30-06 can do. <laughs> and they're right, it can. I just like to make fun of the uh, 308 people because so many folks wrap their arms around that thing like it's the second coming of the Lord or something. <laughs> 
hey, enjoy your cartridge there, Jack. I think you got me. Your 308s living in the 30 at 6 world. Lyle from Tennessee. Ron, I'm responding to my message on the AR-15 video you're thinking of doing. Yes, some time back I said I probably need to start doing more with an AR-15. I just never been a big fan of them. I've got a few and you've shot them enough, but I just never got into them. So uh, I think Lyle wants me to do that. See what he says. I realize you're not a huge fan of the AR style rifle, but I really enjoy mine. I have a Remington R25 and 308. There we go with the 308 again. That is one of my favorite deer rifles. It fits me so well. It's like it was made just for me. I've built a AR-15 and 6mm ARC that was designed by Hornady to have a ballistics like the 308, but that one didn't work out very well. Well, that's okay because it's a great deer cartridge and hand-loaded, you can really bring it to life. I know you have contacts and friends in the firearm industry, so you can get anything you need, right? Knowing you're not a huge fan, I don't see you buying a bunch of AR-15s for your show. So I have this rifle I built, and I'd be honored to loan it to you to help your show. <laughs> Lyle, you're the man. I have an Arkin EP5 5 to 25 by 56 millimeter scope on it, and I'm sure is a bit much for it. Lots of laughs. Or I could mount the SH4 Gen 2 4 to 16 by 56 on it for you. <laughs> Just to be clear, I want nothing in return except if you get near Nashville, let's grab a cup of coffee for lunch. And I'd love to hear people's experiences and you have have a bunch of them. So my wife, by the way, says thanks a lot. You talk about Park West Arms rifle so much that now I'm wanting a new one. <laughs> oh, and then he goes on to invite me to stop down and visit him. You know, Lyle, I just might have to do that. You sound like some fun guy. Maybe I can, you say you're down in the Tennessee area. We may be down there for, what is it? I think it's the Safari Club International show this winter. So you may be in trouble here. I might actually take you up on this. So <laughs> be prepared and warn your wife. I might show up with some Park West Arms rifles to sell you. <laughs> no, I take that back. I'm not selling anything. I never sell anything, folks. You, you need to understand this. Every once in a while, someone will contact me and ask if I've got any ammo for sale or rifles for sale. They think I must be running a shop or something. I do not sell any firearms, any ammunition. I don't sell anything but words. And you pretty much are an editor or a publication before you'll pay me anything for my words. <laughs> All right. This is Colby in Arizona. I like watching your YouTube channels. Thanks for all the great content. Well, thank you, Colby, for watching. I know about three months ago, someone asked about a Fast Twist 270 Winchester that Browning just announced at the SHOT Show a couple of Fast Twist options in 270 from the factory. That's true. My question is, why does it seem like nobody is talking about it? The only ones who have mentioned it, backcountry hunting. I thought there were more fans of the O'Connor special, me being one of them. Well, Colby, you're right, the Browning did announce a fast twist 270 Winchester, which a lot of people have been asking for for a lot of time. And yeah, there's not that much hype about it. And I think it's probably because it's an old cartridge. Um, the 270 Winchester just doesn't have the panache, the ring, the, the buzz of the 
say the 6.5 PRC or the 7 millimeter PRC or the 6.8 Western, all the new cartridges. Yeah, it's got a faster twist, but it's still the same old 270 Winchester, which by the way, can pretty much handle anything and everything. I don't care what anybody else might say to you. That is the situation. So I think that's why you don't see a lot of ink. Also, it's just a barrel with a twist rate. So it doesn't look like a fancy new rifle. There's really nothing to see here unless you got a bore scope and you go inside. So you, it doesn't show up. It's not a new carbon fiber something or other. It's new. I don't know. That's just the way it works, I think, in, in the world. People want to see the object or something, not just a small improvement. Although, you know, it is really a fairly significant improvement because it enables that 270 to shoot the longer high BC bullets for improved long range performance. And a lot of people are just loving that. So it, it gives you the option of a standard proven cartridge with a little bit of an improvement in your long range trajectories and stuff with these heavier, longer bullets. And probably makes it a little more viable for moose and elk. I have never had any trouble dropping elk with 130 grain bullets out of a 270. And they've been doing it since that 270 came out in what, 1925? Or was it 35? Forgetting that one, but I think it was 25. At any rate, I think that's what's going on with the fast twist. But if you're a 270 fan and you have been interested in a fast twist barrel, check out Browning. They are offering it in at least one model, if not two, of their X-Bolt bolt-action rifles. Uh, good rifles, too. I like them. They're, they're trim, slim, and uh, don't weigh too much. They just feel good in the hands, and they're really tight. Boy, generally, I find them to be wonderfully accurate as well, so you might want to check that out. All right, here's uh, someone for Virginia, Chris. Is accurate 4064, this is a gunpowder, is that powder compati compatible for 4570 loads? Oh, 4570 government cartridge, is that a good powder? Published accurate data is limited, although 30 out 6 and 308 are referenced. Yeah, that is a powder that's pretty popular for 30 out 6. I bought eight pounds of it thinking that it was an alternative to IMR 4064 when that powder was in short supply. I see the issue here, Chris. Yeah, you got a 4064, but you got the IMR version, not the accurate version. Are they the same? No, they're not. The accurate 4064 powder, I don't know why they get these numbers the same because it's not the same powder, but the accurate arms version of it is a bit slower burning. They're fairly close on the chart. They're probably only four different powders in between, so it's not that far off. But I have never seen it recommended in any of the hand-loading manuals I've checked for 4570. It's just a little bit too slow of a burning powder for it. So you're probably not going to be able to use it in your 4570. Not unless you're maybe shooting a 500 grain bullet, but I've never seen it for the 300 and 400 grain bullets. So, yeah, sorry about that. Ooh, eight pounds. Maybe you can trade for somebody. But it, it, it is real popular for the 30-06. Um, and I think a lot of the guys that are shooting the Garands or the Garand M1s in competition and stuff really like that powder for their loads. So you should be able to get that uh, split up with some buddies or make a trade or something and get yourself a better powder. But, yeah, good point to ask that, folks. When you're looking at powders for reloading, just because they have the same numbers, does not mean that they're exactly the same burning rate. 
you got to pay attention to the manufacturer. Is it hydrogen powder or an IMR powder or an Alliant powder or an Accurate powder? All these different brands. Uh, sometimes they are the same, but sometimes a powder with a completely different name and number is exactly the same as another manufacturer's with a completely different name and number. I think it's H414 and Winchester 760 are the same. So, yeah, you've got to know your stuff. Pay attention. Of course, in the hand-loading manuals, if it says use this powder, use that powder. Don't try finding one that sounds about the same. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. That doesn't work that way. All right, David from Arizona. Ron, I'm a first-time deer hunter. After hunting upland birds and other small game, mainly dove and rabbit, for over 10 years, my friends and hunting buddies convinced me to get a rifle to go deer hunting with them, and I picked up a second-hand 770 and 270. I believe that is a, a Remington kind of a starter rifle, inexpensive. I'm about to go sighted in, and I'm curious what to expect. And lastly, I'm worried about not downing the buck in one shot and making it suffer. Any tips? Thank you for making the best hunting video. So, buttering me up here, David. <laughs> I'll have to take some time giving you a good, solid answer here. First of all, um, worrying about downing the buck in one shot and making it suffer. You know, I really, it rubs me wrong when I hear hunters say, I really don't want to make the animal suffer. I mean, wonderful position to have, of course, and, and we all want to strive to make good, clean shots. But this idea that we're going to make them suffer unduly, um, I just don't think is, oh, I don't know exactly how to explain it. But Obviously, we don't want them to suffer, but I'm not sure that they suffer. I mean, when you look at the natural world and predation of prey animals, they are being in the wild harassed, chased, and killed by some pretty ineffective predators that nature has made. And I have seen this quite often in, in Africa. You'll, you'll find a, a springbuck with claw marks all over its haunches. It's obviously escaped from uh, a leopard or a cheetah or something. And you'll see 
bite marks and wounds, and some of them quite extensive. And it's like, oh my goodness, they're certainly suffering at the hands of nature. Now, humans, I think, are the only animal who really strives to make these one-shot, no-suffering, kill things. And that's admirable. More power to you. But I don't go get too worried about it because by using the right cartridges and bullets and learning to shoot well and in the right place and working as hard as we do to make our rifles accurate and shooting accurately and knowing our limits and not taking risky shots and all the rest of it, I think the vast majority of hunters do a remarkable job of making sure they do it right. And that's the best we can do. You're never going to guarantee an absolute instant demise kind of thing. But you just know that take a good chest shot, hit the heart and lungs, and generally that animal will stay conscious for three to six or eight seconds. But I don't think there's a lot of pain and suffering involved because so many times I've shot animals in the chest like that and they continue feeding or walking and many times even breeding as if they've never been touched. So how much pain and suffering could be involved? I, I don't think it's much. Man, that's just my take on it, guys. But um, thanks for asking it. Now, about that rifle and sighting it in, what to expect? Expect a loud noise to cover your ears. This is, the I think, new shooter's biggest mistake is to shoot raw. And then the blast hurts so much that they think it's recoil. And I'll hear have guys say, oh, my gosh, the 270, it kicks like a mule. Can you recommend something with less recoil? The 270 barely recoils. It is not bad at all. But if you've got your ears out unprotected, you're going to hear that big blast, and that is going to hurt. So cover your ears. I like to put foamy little plugs in and then get the shells over the top of that to really tone it down. And then you can concentrate on shooting without fearing the flinch. Don't fear the flinch. And if you would like to, I would recommend having a buddy load the rifle behind your back and not load it. He can load it, he cannot, yeah, but it's going to sound like you put around in the chamber, he hands it to you, you aim, you push the safety off, you pull the trigger. If you're fearing recoil, you're going to see yourself jerk and jump and it's not going to work. Do that a few times until you realize this isn't going to hit the target unless I just settle down, squeeze the trigger and keep my eye on the target, making sure that the front side or the reticle of the scope stays on the target. And when it goes click, I want to be able to say, my crosshair moved, looked like an inch to the right or an inch down or something. You need to see that shot. Follow through. Do that a bunch of times with the gun empty and you're going to be ready for that live shot. When he sneaks around in on you, it's going to go off. You're going to hit the target. You're not going to feel any recoil. And you're going to say, well, this is easy. Continue from there in a like manner. It's really pretty easy. So what you want to do when you sight in with your 270, I think, is maximum point blank range, which means that you're going to zero this with your chosen hunting ammunition to be about two and a half inches high at 100 yards. That will extend your usable range. So what happens is your scope sits above the bore or your front sight even sits above the bore about an inch to inch and a half to two inches, depending on how high your scope is up and such. But that means that your bore has to be tilt it up a little bit in relation to the scope. Well, actually what happens is, of course, the scope is adjusted so that the sight is down, cutting through it. And you end up having your rifle canted up slightly so that your bullet starts underneath your sight picture, your line of sight. And at about 25 and 30 yards, it cuts through that line of sight, 
rises above it, peaks at about 150 to 180 yards at two and a half inches high, three inches high, somewhere in there, then begins to fall. And out at 300 yards, you might be three to four to five inches low. That is the chest cavity of your deer. So you can aim at the center of the chest vertically and expect to hit it two or three inches high, two or three inches low, you're right in the boiler room. Pretty simple. So that's how I would recommend you zero that rifle uh, and go from there. I mean, it's it's remarkably effective. Do some field shooting at 100 yards, 50 yards, 150 yards, 200 yards. Put a box or something out there. All you have to do is hit about a 10-inch box, and that is your vital zone on your deer. You'll really build up your confidence when you do that. And that's about it. So, David, good luck. I think you're going to enjoy deer hunting, and I know you're going to love that venison because take care of it properly. It is absolutely delicious. Here we are in Pennsylvania with Brian. I'm looking at building a 14 and a half inch 6.5 Creedmoor for a nice short package that can be used with a suppressor, primarily for hunting whitetail in my home state of Pennsylvania. This should be more than enough for whitetail, out to 400, maybe 500 yards with a 120 grain bullet. But I'm wondering what other game this setup might be good for. This question goes on a YouTube video. I'd like to be anonymous. Well, I think a Brian from Pennsylvania is pretty anonymous. There's more than one there. So <laughs> you're good, buddy. Um, you know, you're going to be set up for anything in that deer size. So mule deer, whitetail, sheep. Mountain goats, uh, I wouldn't hesitate to hunt caribou with it. Obviously, you're going to be fine for coyotes and smaller animals like pronghorn. So good enough there. I don't know that I'll be stretching it out to 500. It's going to depend on your velocities. With that 14 and a half inch barrel, you're going to be losing some of the potential out of that 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, now, with a 120 grain bullet, you're going to be using a little bit faster burning powders in it if you're a hand loader. And that will uh, be a little more effective in that shorter barrel because they should burn completely at about 16 to 18 inches maybe or close enough to it. But you're still going to lose a little velocity there. The suppressor is nice. I don't think you need it. There's very little recoil with a Creedmoor. But of course, when you're putting that five to six inch suppressor on the end of your barrel, there your 14 and a half inch barrel suddenly gets quite a bit longer. Um, the suppressor is nice for cutting the sound blast down. I do think there's significant value in that it's to such an extent that I'm going to start trying them this year. I'd still hate the look of the darn things, but man, when it comes to saving your hearing, I think it's like, go for it. So yeah, you should do fine. Now, there are some guys you're going to say, hey, you can take elk with that. And you certainly can with the right bullet in the right place. And even a 120 grain bullet can be the right bullet if it's in the right place. I often say that I shot a, a big bull moose, 12 year old macho moose up in uh, British Columbia. And I used a 120 grain bullet in a 6.5 by at six, 30 at six, neck down to six, five. So that's quite a bit faster than the Creedmoor, but it's still a 120 grain two, six, four bullet. And one shot took that moose. Now I hit it in the heart, duh. <laughs> but that just goes to show what you can do with a, a light, slim bullet. You I mean, you could have easily done that with a 243 of some kind. And that's why a lot of folks living out in the boonies in Alaska and such who need their annual meat supply, caribou and moose and such, but are quite um, concerned about efficiency and costs, will use a 223 Remington. And I know most people 
would say, that's ridiculous, it's irresponsible, etc., etc. But these people are depending on that rifle to deliver the annual winter meat supply. Now, I don't know that I'd be risking it to a cartridge that doesn't work. So, yeah, your Creedmoor should suffice for something like that. But you're not going to take it out on a once in a lifetime or even once every couple of years expensive elk hunt out in the Rocky Mountains. It just makes more sense to use a larger cartridge bullet that's going to give you better odds, fudge factor, whatever you want to call it. You know, I've often said that the lighter cartridges can do the job, but you have to have precise shot placement. And a lot of times you come out here and your only fleeting chance at a big elk is a quartering shot where you can't promise your bullet doesn't have to go through major bones and muscle mass and stuff. So that's my take on it. But as you, as you mentioned, you whitetail sized animals should be a piece of cake. So there you go, Brian. Good luck to you, and I hope that 6.5 Creedmoor with a short barrel works out for you. So that looks like the end of our questions. Thanks to David and Chris and Colby, as well as Brian and Lyle and Jack and Joe for sending those in. Thanks to our patrons for uh, their letters and comments and pats on the back. Always appreciate pats on the back, folks. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, just go to patreon.com, look up Ron Spomer Outdoors, and take a look. You can join our Patreon community at several levels. All the contributions are wonderful. We really appreciate it, guys. And thanks to everyone for keeping us on the straight and narrow. As I often say, I can't always get all of this stuff off the top of my head exactly right. So if you catch me making a mistake, write in and correct me because I don't want to be giving bad information out. I want everyone to get the straight scoop and do things right. So I depend on my audience to help out with that. Not going to get in trouble by calling me out. <laughs> I've been called every name in the book. And as long as that helps me get out the right information, I'm all for it. So this is Ron Spomer with Ron Spomer Outdoor Podcasts. Thanking you for listening and inviting you to the next one. Until then. Hunt honest and shoot straight. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky. In wild country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss wild country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.